to the Crooked Table Podcast, where we discuss the world of film from a fresh angle. And now your host, Robert Yanis Jr. Welcome to the Crooked Table Podcast. This is Rob. On this show, we democratize the film criticism conversation by bringing on fans and critics alike to dig into their personal connection to a current or classic release. You can find more episodes of the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and other podcatchers. This week, we're going to be talking about a movie called Salt of the Earth from 1954. And if you haven't heard of that, then you're you're in good company here as far as I'm concerned. Uh, and I am honored to welcome to the show Rosa from Latinx Lens. Welcome to the Crooked Table Podcast. Oh, no. Thank you. Thank you. Hello, everybody. Um, no, thank you for the invite. It's nice to be here. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I, I've, I, I've been following you on Twitter for a while and I've listened to the show. And uh, tell people a little bit about Latinx Lens and, uh, and what you all have going on over there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, so, so Latinx Lens is a podcast and um, we're working on the website. So it's coming soon. <laughs> working on a, on a um, blog page. But it's a, it's a podcast dedicated to highlighting and shining a light on Latinx contributions and representation and the film industry. And we're also expanding it to television as well. Um, we, my co-host and I, Catherine Gonzalez, we both um, select a, a filmmaker or a, a, an actor and we dedicate each episode just on either some of their films and, and we give our thoughts on how um, either the filmmaker decided to make the films or the actors themselves, how, how they uh, contributed and they represented uh, the community within the films. We also review films uh, newly released or we also go back like um, from films from the 40s or the 50s and the 60s and, and, and so on. And we try to uh, give a, a underrepresented <laughs> lens to to reviewing movies from from both of our lenses so yeah it's a podcast that came to be uh because of me going to school and not not learning a lot uh since i'm working towards my film degree i wasn't um i was taking a course that was supposed to teach me about latinos and hispanic representation contribution in in the industry only to be disappointed at only reading a page and a half (laughs) on on, on a textbook of a 500 page textbook uh just on we what we've done um throughout the history of film so that that's where where the, the podcast originated and we, we couldn't be happier. We couldn't be happier for, for Latinx Lens. We, we've been very lucky to have a, a warm welcome and, and uh, a lot of people supporting the podcast. So, yeah, that's just a little bit of, of Latinx Lens. <laughs> yeah, no, I think that's great. I mean, especially, you know, representation is such a, such an important thing. And I feel like, yeah. first of all, I, do you feel like, Hollywood is making progress in that regard. I mean, I think uh, you you see a lot of the blockbusters and they're like, you know, uh, you know, female superheroes and all this other stuff. That tends to be the big thing, right? I guess we use that as the litmus test for yeah. how Hollywood <laughs> is doing, like as far as the blockbusters are concerned. Are you yeah. seeing, do you, do you think there's been progress in that regard? Because I, I think we're getting there way too slowly, but I think we're getting there. Yeah, I think you just hit the nail right in the head. We are, but very, very slowly. Right. Um, because if, if I'm not mistaken, I can probably 
as the years continue to go, like even from last year and the previous, I've noticed an increase like of female directed films or female centric movies. Um, however, for Latinos, not as much, uh, mm-hmm. but but when we would normally get zero films a year, now we're starting to get at least one or two movies, even though they're documentaries majority of the times. Uh, but we are starting to see just a little bit of representation um, there. But there's still a whole lot uh, to work on. Yeah, I mean, especially, I think, too, a lot of people don't consider when they talk about diversity, not only the, you know, the, the people behind and in front of... Uh, the camera, but also like how those groups are being represented. Uh, You know, you know, not relying on stereotypes, not relying like um, it's, it's just, yeah, it's, it's frustrating how, how little of that is actually really happening uh, in today's, in today's, uh, you know, the studio system and all of that. So I think that's so important that, that you and Catherine have this venue to not only talk about, you know, Latin uh, films and filmmakers, uh, but also to lend your perspective on films that are, don't don't directly involve Latin characters, because I think that that perspective is so valuable too. Just because you know, I'm uh, my my dad's side of the family is Cuban, so I'm familiar yeah. with that uh, mm-hmm. with 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 uh, you know Latin families and that kind of that kind of life. But my mom's side is Italian, and so I still sort of self-identify primarily as Caucasian because of that, just because I don't really speak the language or things like that. And so I, I feel like, <clears throat> excuse me, I feel like, um, yeah, I feel like it's something that, it, it's a voice that it really needs to be heard just, uh, just because so many, <laughs> so many podcasters and uh, film critics it, it just... It, it, just like in the industry, people talking about the industry, so much of us are white males and it's just refreshing right. to hear other perspectives. And I think it's important for, for people to seek out those different viewpoints about film. Yeah. And I, I completely, I wholeheartedly agree with, with what you just said. And yes, majority of the podcast, uh, if I'm not mistaken, the last uh, statistics I heard, like Rotten Tomatoes critics, like 70% of them are still white men. Um, mm-hmm. So it, it's, yes, it's predominantly a, a white man's world <laughs> in, in yeah. every perspective, um, either criticizing films, filmmaking, and in and, 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 and general. So, yeah, absolutely. I, I think it is important to, to highlight um, our representation and the co- the community has been represented, but also to know that I don't mind sitting down and watching Downtown Abbey either. I don't right. mind watching Wonder Woman and all these other amazing films um, because we, we we do have a uh, uh, that sense. We we do have likes and dislikes, and, and it's just not solely focused on on Latinx content um, or Latino centric or by film uh, Latinos filmmakers films. Um, but yeah, I think we're, we're also, it's something that I learned and, and I've come to realize while making the, the podcast um, is that we're also learning, um, Catherine and I, we're also learning about our own biases and, and how we've grown up seeing each other on, on screen and how we've come to terms with certain um, stereotypes uh, about 
communities within the Latinx community that uh, unfortunately not many people are aware of. Sadly, when you say Hispanic or you say Latino, uh, a lot of people immediately think Mexican or Mexican-American, although we, we do comprise majority of the minority uh, within the community here in the U.S., um, I, we think it is, it is important for people to understand that there is a variety of, of different, it, we're, we're such a diverse, rich uh, group uh, of demographic from, from, like you said, Cubans, there's Puerto Ricans, there's Dominicans, Centra, uh, from Central America, South America, there's different, different cultures being represented. But unfortunately, they lump us in all together in the in the umbrella term of what is Latino or Hispanic. And unfortunately, a lot of people tend to generalize that. So we also trying to um, bring awareness to that, uh, even though we are very underrepresented in, 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 um, in respect to representation on screen. Um, behind the camera and criticism, whatever little representation we have had, we also acknowledge that our, our little bit of privilege we carry. We, we acknowledge that it is our demographic being represented the most. In, in both our cases, we're both Mexican-Americans. Um, even, even though within the Mexican-American community, because I'm first-generation Chicana, I, I was born and raised here, but my parents are, are from Mexico. Whereas mm. Catherine... Uh, she was born here, but she's like fourth, fifth generation. So she, her family has always been here. So even that 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 respect, also we have do have little, little differences and different experiences within that. Um, and we uh, we do try, we attempt to to try to bring a, a little bit of awareness to that as well. Yeah, it's it's crazy when you consider, and this is something that I've only really thought about a lot more, uh, you know, in my adult life, how much. Mm-hmm what you see on screen affects the way you, you think of yes. yourself, the world around you. Uh, I mean, and, and it's not something that I hadn't really thought of until, you know, I was much older that, oh, well, I didn't even consider that all these people of color, you know, uh, Hispanics and black people and women, they don't see themselves represented because I'm just so used to that being the norm, you know? Right. And that's not something that, that kind of, as you're saying, that kind of privilege, I guess, culturally speaking, you do, a lot of people just completely gloss over, like they don't even, they don't even clock it uh, at all. Yeah. If, and if they do, it's much later in life when you're realizing just uh, how much of, of your perspective has been, you know, has been, uh, not, I guess jaded is the right word, has been jaded <laughs> by, by uh, this, you know, this massive industry and the way that, like you said, the way that, uh, Hispanics always, always, almost always means Mexican. And if it's a mainstream right. movie, usually they're like a gang member or something like that. And that just kind of, kind of tends to be nine times out of 10, the, the type of character that is represented in a you know, mainstream Hollywood movie. And it's, it's really crazy when you consider what a, what a kind of power the media has in that regard. Yes, absolutely. And unfortunately for us, uh, when we first started the, the podcast, I think episode two, we, for, we focused on Edward James Olmos. And one of the films that we discussed was 
Zuzut, um, which is based on the 1940s Zuzut riots that happened here in Los Angeles. Um, and I was born and raised in East LA. So I embody your stereotypical Chicana that you've seen. Um, and, and still a lot of the shows, a lot of films, when you, when you depict the Chicano experience, it's predominantly East LA. And, and yeah. I acknowledge it. Um, I'm proud of it too. Of course, I embrace it. I embrace my identity and I know who I am, but I also acknowledge that there's not only Chicanos in East LA. There, there's people outside of California. <laughs> um, right. and, and unfortunately, Hollywood tells us otherwise. Um, but yeah, Tsutsu, uh, which is something that happened in the 40s here in LA, a few miles from where I'm currently sitting. And I had no idea of those events, even though I was born and raised here. I didn't have, I had zero idea of those events until I watched that film. And I, mm. I found myself in a rabbit hole just doing research and research and research and listening to podcasts and reading books and realizing how our school system doesn't tend to uh, teach us that history, that part of our own history. So for people like us, or even in general society, when we're not taught our own history, we're unconsciously building and modifying and then molding our own image and our own history based on these movies. And mm. if the movies are only teaching us in the media and television, of course, and if all they're showing us are the criminals and the gang members and all of this and all of that, then it's bound. It, it's just, it's logic that that's how they're going to be viewing us as. Right. Yeah. yeah. Is there, before we get into salt of the earth, is there mm-hmm. a, more recent movie that you would recommend people that are interested in looking into, you know, Latinx filmmakers uh, that they should check out? Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. You know what? To be completely honest with you, this is one of the very rare years where we've noticed uh, a little boost, a little increase in, in Latino filmmakers or about our films um, depicting the Latinx experience. Um some of them are, of course, there. One one of the films is from Peru. Uh, it's called uh, "Song Without a Name." It's a it's a movie that came. Out. I think it's currently available on virtual cinema, and it depicts the story of an indigenous woman um, from Peru, which is <laughs> another demographic that's vastly underrepresented mm-hmm. um, in Hollywood. And it, it showcases uh, her experience um, as her baby is taken away from her um, because of the, the the social tension and the politics that's going on in Peru at that time. They, w- they would kidnap babies. They would take them away from primarily uh, indigenous women um, just so they can either sell them or, or sell them for adoption over and overseas. Um, and that movie, it, it's shot in black and white. It's gorgeously shot. Cinematography, it's top notch. Um, memorable performances and certainly again it's also produced by by an indigenous filmmaker uh it's based on on the experience that her father um experienced who in this case is the journalist um so it involves journalism it involves uh the experience of indigenous demographics um and and certainly a a film i highly highly recommend watching uh song without a name or in spanish cancion sin nombre yes very cool um, yeah. do you, one more question, because I just thought of it is now yeah. what we're talking. Do you, do yeah. you think that because 2020 is obviously a, an insanity hellscape, <laughs> whatever you want to call it. I mean, yeah. we're recording this as the 
what was supposed to be the third presidential debate is happening. So yeah, I think that's indicative of kind of where we are right now um, as a country. Um, <laughs> what do you think that the, one of the, maybe the silver lining for the film industry has been that, do you think smaller movies or, you know, films, films made by, uh, you know, made by people of color and women, things like that. Do you think that they're having a little bit more of a time to shine now that so many of the big, let's just say it, mostly white blockbusters have gotten pushed to next year? Do you think there's a little bit of an opportunity there for uh, some of these uh, s- smaller movies that might not get as much attention to, uh, to get to, to do so? Yeah. Oh, yes, absolutely. Um, because Hollywood is pretty much also in quarantine. And yeah. and it's and unfortunately, we, we, well, us that, that we constantly talk about movies and we know how it works. We know that Hollywood at the end of the day, it's a business. And for them, it, they're not going to make money off a movie from like Cancion Sin Nombre, the one I just um, said, or they're not, they wouldn't have made money off the film that we're going to be talking about at the moment. So it, it's rare for them to be uh, showcasing or even uh, screening films like that. So yes, movies that um, I was very, very much lucky enough to, to go to Sundance earlier this year. And a lot of the films that, that were screened um, back in January are, have, are shining at the moment. Um, um, one of my personal favorites, my favorite uh, film of Sundance was the 40-year-old version, which is currently right now streaming on Netflix. Um, it, it stars uh, Reda Blank. It, she produced it, she wrote it, she directed it, and she stars in it. She's like a, a woman with many hats in this film, and it's certainly a film I also highly recommend watching. But yes, yes, to, to come back to your question, absolutely. Um, and certainly having the streaming uh, services uh, available for them to get screened and having all these other festivals also that are going virtual now um, also certainly uh, gives benefits these smaller films that of course they they do depict a variety of stories from various visions therefore filmmakers that um, are normally non-white men <laughs> right right Interesting. We'll we'll have to see where the where the industry goes after this. But yeah, I think that there that's definitely an asset into 2020 in film that that some of these other movies are getting a little bit more attention. But uh, mm-hmm. let's let's transition into talking about this movie. We're, let's us before we get into Salt of the Earth from 1954. Let's listen a little bit of the trailer right now. Out of New Mexico, where the story was born, out of the headlines when the film was made, out of the living heart of America comes salt of the earth. Yes, you'll cry, but you'll laugh more when the women land in jail and the men land in the washtub. At last, a film in which women emerge as the heroic equals of men, and men learn about sex equality the hard way. Time magazine says, salt of the earth crowded with grindingly effective scenes. The New York Times, raw emotion and power. The San Francisco Chronicle, it pulsates with a feeling of actuality. From coast to coast, the critics rave. One of the most dramatic and entertaining films of all time. You'll laugh and cheer. You'll thrill with pride. Your kids will love it. See salt of the earth. You'll never forget it. Salt of the earth. That was a little bit of the trailer for Salt of the Earth from 1954, directed by Herbert J. Bieberman. So, Rosa, what is it about this movie that made you want to pick it? You sort of alluded to that already, but uh, expand on it a little bit. 
Yes. So from my information, I, I um, please correct me if I'm wrong, if anybody's out there and has the right um, information. Um, from my understanding, this is the first film ever to depict the Mexican-American experience in the United States. Um, and also to be the first film ever to have Mexicans and Mexican-Americans portraying Mexican-Americans um, and pretty much depicting their own stories on in this film. So, so for a variety of reasons, the, the importance of it and how um, it's paved the way to the very few films that, that we've had afterwards. Um, and it's important in, in, in every every aspect. It's important for the story that it's telling, um, certainly for a film that was released in the mid-50s, certainly <laughs> a bit progressive for its time. Um, it's a movie that was uh, produced and, and it was made by filmmakers who were blacklisted. Um, which uh, it, it automatically translated into being a film that was uh, interpreted as a communist propaganda just for being uh, made by blacklisted filmmakers. Mm. Um, also, just the obstacles that this film had to go through just to to for it to get made for it to be um to be seen it was only screened like in one movie theater um when, when it was released and then after after several uh threads uh the theater ended up just not no longer screening it because they didn't want people to be watching this film um for the message it had and and pretty much for depicting society how how it was truly <laughs> well the, mm. the 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 atrocities that were truly going on um i guess they didn't want people to know the truth the truth um here but yeah. it, it's certainly a movie that caught me off guard uh i thought i was just gonna go into a movie uh depicting uh the 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 minor strike and and everything they had to go through and of course i was it, it's a mexican-american experience so i was expecting racism and discrimination and stuff but to me, I guess as a woman, what really hooked me was the feminist narrative it had. And mm -hmm. I was just blown away by it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. First, when was the first time you saw this? Is this something you, you saw in, uh, in school or is this something you were introduced to at a younger age? Yeah, no, 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 no. I saw it in school, in film class. Mm -hmm. um, I saw it in one of my introductory of film history courses. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. No. I, the uh, the feminist angle is is I think what struck me the most as well, and uh, I, I can understand why in the fifties people would be like, no, 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 <laughs> this is too. You know, the 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 white characters, the Anglo's as they're referred to in the movie, are very. I mean, obviously, bigotry is is really big at the time, but this movie is very raw in its depiction of that uh, of the All way right. that they. There's a whole sequence where uh, Ramon is is getting beaten and it's intercut with the birth of his, uh, you know, his third child with Esperanza. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and they're talking about how they're like children in many ways and like all it's, it's really intense. And I, you know, this is an experience I've had a few times going back and watching older movies, just the way that they, they, uh, the way that they tackle issues. I'm thinking of like a couple years ago, I saw the apartment for the first time and mm -hmm. I realized like how, and it's 19, I think it was made in 1960 or something like that. And it, it's covering, you know, top serious topics like suicide and things like that. You know, there's a, there's a whole uh, infidelity and there's all these themes that you assume older movies wouldn't touch. And right. 
this movie tackles a wide variety of them. Uh, and based on, you know, the fact that so many of the people involved were blacklisted, I, it sounds like they were just like, well, all right, well, we don't have to play in the studio system. So let's just tell it like you were, like you were sort of alluding, let's just tell it the way it is. Do you think yeah. that, do you think that the values and the message of this movie, do you think they would, how, how do you think they'd be filtered through a, a, more Hollywood lens because I feel like this is even in 2020, this feels really, really uh, raw and very progressive. Right. Um, it's a very good question because I don't see it being a, a Hollywood film. It, mm-hmm. it has more of a smaller independent vibe to it. Sure. Um, although I do think slowly but surely Hollywood is going, uh, moving forward and, and depicting these stories uh, the way they are. Um, I still think it, it wouldn't be able to, to, to go through, through the Hollywood um, system of it. But yeah, even, it, and that's another thing that, that, that really caught, it, it caught me, it really caught me off, off guard with the feminist narrative, but also, a lot of the topics that we're still having conversations on today, uh, mm. and, and we we, just, we were just talking about it. We were talking about representation, and, and we were talking about how we're being depicted in film. And then this is one of the very few films that's actually showcasing uh, our experience and and what a lot of these uh, demographics, a lot of these Mexican Americans went through. The, the beginning of the film, it starts saying. Uh, Esperanza is narrating. That's another thing. It's the feminist narrative, and then you also have a Chicana. Yeah, Yeah, it's a woman's perspective, which is quite fascinating to me. Um, and she started saying that when she was a little girl, that where she lived, it was still part of Mexico. And then now that she's grown up, the Angles have taken have taken over, and now the 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 city is called by another name. So this is pretty much the depiction of the Mexican American experience, or or it's pretty much the depiction of the experience of Mexicans who were um, they never moved, they never left their home, and from just randomly, like just one day, they were foreigners in their own land, Mm -hmm. and. They they pretty much fit that 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 definition of the border. We didn't cross the border; the border crossed us, um, kind of thing. And yeah. just to see it depicted on screen was also very to me. It's very important as well. Yeah, you're like you were as you were saying. She starts starts out saying the house is not ours. The flowers are the flowers are ours. Like they they kind of uh, pinpointing how how their life has changed uh, yeah. as a result of this. And I I do want to shout out obviously a lot of the cast members were the actual miners and the families of the miners yes. and, and things like that uh who people that lived this strike which took place just a few years prior to the movie uh to the movie's production which is which is crazy i feel like that is something that i has rarely or if ever happened since then this is you know it's almost a 70 year old movie and i right. can't think offhand of an event like that where they recruited the people who are actually there to sort of keep it authentic. And I think that's a big part of why the movie is so powerful is that the people on set were, you know, involved in what happened and they can, they can kind of keep, uh, keep things, uh, keep things real, I guess, in, in, in some way. And the fact that apparently there was only a few, like five professional actors, including Rosara Revueltas as, yeah. as Bronza. 
let's talk about her performance in this because she's she's incredible in this movie. Yes, she is. Oh my gosh, she's amazing. I, I loved her. I, I very much loved her in this film. And also to see what she had to go through in this movie. Like I said, I uh, previously mentioned this movie had to go through a lot of obstacles. Um, mm. They didn't want this film to get made and they try to do everything uh, for it, for them to stop the production of the movie to the point that Rosaura, um, she was deported towards the end of the film. And I don't know if you recall the the last shots of, of the movie. She had to shoot those um, scenes over in Mexico because they had deported her, deported her by that um, by that time. Um, and yeah, they they she she did an amazing job. I, I love what she did in this movie. I certainly um, I, I I was sold with her depiction of a, from the beginning of the film where she's very much of a. As a stereotypical housewife, I, I, I obey my husband and I do as he says. And I don't want to do this because I don't want to upset him. And then to see her evolution um, throughout the film to literally just being, finding her voice, finding that strength in her was just darn remarkable to me. <laughs> yeah. And the way that that happens is is so yeah. elegant and and graceful too, because as you said, it's it starts out and she's basically making coffee for the yeah for the protesters for the men and and the women are just kind of you know doing their gender assigned jobs i guess and mm-hmm. it's just that uh, as circumstances evolve is when the the women the women have to sort of take over the taft hartley injunction happens that you know uh prevents the workers from from going on uh on the picket line and so the women have to kind of step up and it it's not it's not it's not the the story is not that the women are are seeking equality from the beginning. It's it's just kind of the way that the, you know it's born of necessity, basically. And mm-hmm. I thought that was an interesting way of of having Esperanza, as you said, evolve throughout the course of the, the film because it, it, it is there's just something that like once she once she gets uh, exposed to what it feels like to actually you know, contribute in, in, uh, in a more substantive way. It's just, and sees herself as equal to her husband. Mm-hmm. It's it, yeah. I, I really, you know, we, we, we sort of uh, already talked about how, you know, there's the, the racial dynamic, there's the, yeah. the workplace equality thing and all that. But I think it's really the, the feminist angle that I, I really connected to the most as well. Yes. Yes. And then, then just changing the roles because the women mm-hmm. are outside of the picket line and then some of them get arrested and then having the men having to wash the clothes and take <laughs> care of the kids and doing the cooking and having them have that experience in the 50s, a movie yeah. showcasing yeah. this. Oh, man. I was just like, everyone has to be just enjoying it. <laughs> uh, but yes, overall... Man, it, it was just a, a, certainly an important movie for, for its variety of topics. And, and obviously the feminist angle, to me, it's important. Um, to me as a woman and to me as a mother myself of four girls, <laughs> uh, when, they, when they grow older. And, and I'm certainly going to be showcasing this film to them and letting them know, you know what, you got a voice. And it's certainly a movie that it does work uh, for film history and, and depicting mm-hmm. the rarity of, of having these smaller films, but also I, I find it very important and, and essential for moves. So for uh, 
people out there, especially women, to watch films like these um, that were made in the 50s, uh, showcasing that women do have a voice, that, that they are more essential, that they, they can do more than the domestic housework, um, right. that they do have a voice, that they do have, um, uh, they can get involved in the community um, activities out there and, and, and be pretty darn good at it. And then, yeah, you might get arrested with the baby in arms, but... You you still do what you got to do. You accomplish the goal at the end of the day. And, and it, yeah. it's just certainly a message worth watching. <laughs> well, and it's one, of those, it's one of those movies as well that illustrates, well, not only can, can, the, woman, can the women you know, step up and contribute, right. but sometimes they can do it better than the men because <laughs> there's a certain level of resilience that they have in this, in this movie, Esperanza and, and the rest of the, the ladies as well where they're locked up with the children and they're like, we want the formula. Meanwhile, yeah. Ramon is at home and he's bitching about, Oh, there's no hot water or whatever. Um, <laughs> I just, yeah, I, I loved all of that. It's, you know, the, the one side, uh, the man, the men just assume that it's easy to do what the women do at home, which it is not. Obviously it's difficult in its own way. Right, and then right. once Esperanza, like she has, you, cause you see such a, um, a shift in her when they, when they do get out of jail and she comes home and she's like, upbeat in, in a way yeah. after being locked up she's because she's she's for the first time she has that sense of accomplishment i'm like oh this is what it feels like for the high dynamic in the household to be yeah. much more more equitable and i'm not subservient to my husband or whatever and yeah. i i, I love that her attitude when she came back to the house <laughs> me too she comes back and she's still taking care of the baby she, yeah she has this like adrenaline to her um that just i loved it <laughs> I, yeah. if you haven't noticed i just love this from the pieces um <laughs> but yes absolutely <laughs> yeah no the women have their own community as well that like the, the movie starts out very much focused on well you know like we said the women are making the coffee and the men are are working in the mines and and uh, you know protesting the women are at home doing laundry and tending to the dishes and the children and all that stereotypical you know stereotypically feminine work uh, mm -hmm. i did air quotes you can't see cuz it's a podcast i just realized um <laughs> so uh and i love that that the way that 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 changes after she comes back and I feel like I just want to talk about that the scene now with her and Ramon, where they have that they it, it kind of spikes into this Hello? really intense fight. And she says something to him that I I took note of because I was like, wow, that's so that's so simple yet effective and powerful. She says, "Why are you so afraid to have me as your friend? What what is that? What does that line I guess mean to you and, and sort of Esperanza's journey at that point?" Yeah. I think because within our, our the Mexican American or even the Mexican um, culture, there's this sense of machismo. There's always this mm -hmm. uh, this um, idea of, of men always being superior to women and women just being there to 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 obey pretty much and do as yeah. she's told. And for once, um, she is finding out that that she does have a voice and she can contribute and and she can get as much accomplished uh, as him. And I guess this is hitting him and in his machismo ego because because you see that a lot of the men pretty much resist this they, they mm -hmm. it wasn't easy for them to even get the vote <laughs> within the union uh, there yeah. was a lot of opposition to it uh but for her saying this to him i think it's just her way of saying what what's wrong with me and you just 
going at it equally. I don't want to be better than you. I don't want to be higher or be considered more than you. But there's nothing wrong with just being equal. It's just being partners in this and taking all of this together as a team. What's wrong with being a team? Right. Um, and, and just accomplishing and working towards all of this together, uh, which is unfortunately culturally mm, pretty much, <laughs> much like uh, not common. <laughs> and, and if you add to the culture, the religion that, that make them a lot of Mexicans, which in this case is Catholic. Uh, and if you add uh, the cultural and the religious aspect to it, it, it comes very much from a very patriarchal or misogynistic <laughs> kind of mm-hmm. um, 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 background. So it, it, I also found it very much, very interesting, even though I was fascinated by the feminist angle of it. Uh, I, I did understand the, the opposition to it and or the resistance um, to, to the women uh, speaking up and, and trying to, to help out the men. Because as a man, as a boy in a Mexican household, you are raised to us to be the head of the household, to be the tough person in the house to not need help from anybody to raise your family you're the man of the house you're supposed to go out there and do it and i guess if you have your wife or you have a woman or you have somebody else trying to help you to do the same then it it does hit you and um in your machismo ego (laughs) that to have pretty much your wife saying let's go at it together. Let's be a team and let's do this equally. In that sense, um, as much as I hate to admit this, I do understand (laughs) the resistance and I do understand what all of this is coming from because I was raised in in a household where my dad was the man of the house and then my mom was not working. She was not allowed to work and and it's the the machismo um, household. But as times change, and this is back in the 50s, (laughs) um, it's certainly... So, something very much refreshing to watch. And even then, even right now, even today, there are households that, that do live by the machismo mentality, especially Latinos or Mexican households. So it, it was very interesting to see that dynamic, to, to, to be in a position where I was rooting for the women, yet at the same time, in the back of my head, I was able to understand the position these men were placed in. Because if you do get the help, or, or like they were saying, you were hiding under the skirts of your wives um, or, or having just having them help you, uh, it's very much just hitting them in the ego and, and, and ridiculing them pretty much. Right. Yeah, no. Yeah. And it's, it's something that's, as you said, very, uh, it, it can, it's results of a lot of times your upbringing, uh, your, the culture, as we were, yeah. even what we were saying earlier, the, the media, what you see in movies, the, like the big tough muscle action heroes and like, you know, the, uh, the chiseled abs of the people in the music video, like it, it's affects like, like the role that as, you know, speaking as, as a man now that, that you yeah. feel like, well, you, I have to live up to this. Like, uh, and I think, yeah, it makes sense that if that's all you know, you're going to be like, wait a minute, you're, you're going to resist it uh, in some way, shape or form. And, you know, you see these things all the time. I, I even just, this is a um, mild sidebar, but even like yeah. earlier today, uh, Twitter is, is a mess usually, but you see things on there <laughs> where I saw somebody tweeting something about uh, like, oh, you know, white men are so fragile. And this is something that as a white man, I'm very self-aware of. And I think, my, my answer for that is yes. And that's because 
the, the world feels like it's sort of tailor-made to us. So anytime something isn't, we, we take immediate take of kind of offense. Like, wait a minute, you know, what, what, what are you talking about? That's, you know, that's sort of uh, on some level for a lot of us, that's kind of our instinct. It's just like, wait, this isn't, but, but everything else, like 95 through to 99% of the world feels like it's kind of carbon made, like uh, custom made for me, from my perspective, yeah. or that's what I'm seeing reflected back. And this isn't, and it kind of takes you aback. And then you could either, you know, do realize the world doesn't revolve around you and accept yeah. that and, uh, and appreciate other perspectives and other voices, or you can react to it like viscerally. And I think that's what we see from Ramon here, where his first instinct is to raise his hand to try and yeah. hit her and put her in her place. And she's like, that would be the old way, which I thought was another great line where you're like, wow, she's not only, she's so emboldened by all of this that she's like literally saying, I won't stand for that anymore. That's not, that's not how we run things in our household. And I think that's such a, I don't know, such a, it was such a powerful and kind of admirable moment uh, for yeah. her journey. And I think it speaks to, as you were saying, to a lot of the, the cultural, but also the gender bias and, and, you know, in this country, but also just generally. Yes, yes. That scene certainly, uh, to me, it, it was very much uh, a validation of her empowerment uh, as a woman, as a wife, as a mother, as a, as a, as a resident or, or of the community. Um, and yeah, just such so that she's like, no, you're never going to hit me. And you know what? <laughs> you can go sleep somewhere else. You're not sleeping with me tonight. Because <laughs> yeah, I don't yeah, want to deal exactly. with, your, with you right now. Um, which, again, it's just another powerful moment for me as well. But right. yeah, 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 absolutely. And I think it's just a matter of, of and like you said, Twitter has been crazy for the past few weeks. And mm -hmm. politics does not help either. Um, no, no, but not no, not at all. Uh, but I think it, it, it's a matter of, in, in my in my perspective, I don't know, I'm not speaking for anybody else. It's just a matter of not jumping into conclusions so easily. Um, uh, I'm not particularly fond of, of certain tweets like those, uh, the, that right. white men are so fragile or anything like that. Um, but just being open and having discussions like these and having conversations and getting to know other people. Uh, because to me, the the... the, the uh, antidote to to stereotypes and ignorance pretty much it's just knowledge and getting to know people yeah. and just going out there and just having these conversations and talk and then just just go out there and talk don't generalize because if we're over here as as a woman of color myself if i'm over here uh not demanding but but voicing and advocating for representation and the stop to marginalization and discrimination yet i turn around and do all those things, then then just being counterproductive and just being pretty much a hypocrite about it. Uh, right. So it's just a matter of having just conversations and just trying to learn a little bit of every, of everybody and just trying to expand that that vision and trying to expand that that spectrum of, of just comprehension and trying to just know and and, and trying to get a little bit more background. Uh, onto situations or stories or articles or whatever it is we're having a conversation about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And most people are not, I shouldn't, I don't know if I should say most people, but a lot of people are very closed off and they only yeah. seek uh, the opinions of people like them or the voices that echo their own 
that kind of thing. And I, and I think that's just, that's not, as this movie sort of illustrates, you progress doesn't really, it can't really function in a vacuum. You know, the, right. this starts off as the men wanting to get equality in the minds, but as the, the film illustrates, you can't really have equality in one area of life without it sort of spreading into others. It should be at home and exactly. work. And then that's kind of the, the point of the film. It's just like, well, progress isn't, you know, uh, doesn't, doesn't, uh, it, do- it doesn't foster in that kind of environment. It needs to, it's either all encompassing or not, or, or not at all, or you're just kidding yourself basically in thinking that, that you're really achieving equality. And so I, li- I love that that's, kind of where the movie goes that it starts out as, as one thing and it sort of spreads into all areas of, of their lives. Yes. I'm right there with you. That's what I loved about this movie. I thought this film, how it started about the minors and them seeking equality and payment and, and, and just like um, seeking um, just these uh, owners to have like regulations and, and so on and so forth. And I thought that's the film that I was going to be watching. Mm-hmm. And then it's slowly turned, and especially her telling, like Esperanza telling Ramon, yeah, you're seeking equality at the workforce, but you turn around and you're like oppressing me pretty much. You're doing right. what the angle is doing to you. You're doing it to me. So how the hell is that? Again, what we were just talking about, how is right. that even productive in the first place? Um, but yeah, I was very much fascinated by, by everything of it. And just to see how uh, a lot of, I, I, I also very much appreciated how women, because I'm, of course, it's no secret. I'm a huge feminist. Um, but my definition of feminism is just that equality. Um, I don't think women are better than men or vice versa. Uh, I think we're, we're both, we should be considered equal. We should have the same equal amount of opportunities, whether at the workforce or when it comes to representation. At the end of the day, uh, population wise, we are 50% of the population. Right. Uh, so it's it just equality. Uh, and that's how I'm seeing it. And in a lot of the instances, um, these women never once went out there to, to, um, be sexist to say we're better than you. No, we're just seeking equality. We're just seeking, um, you guys to listen to us and say, you know what? We need warm water. We need sanitation. We need plumbing. We need um, help at the house, at the household. And unfortunately, men don't realize it until they have to be put in their shoes and they have to realize, yeah, it takes me three hours to boil this water just to wash mm-hmm. this clothes or, or to do this and to do that. And that that's something I very, very much appreciated about the film too. The, the, the theme of feminism, but feminism itself, not necessarily sexism. Right, right, and I think because their because their their uh, I guess exposure and desire for equality uh, in the, in this movie is because it, it it's kind of born out of circumstance. Like I was saying earlier, it feels that much more pure. You know, it's it's not right. it's not uh, you know what some people would consider like some people hear feminist and they think, Oh, that they're just, they're just like man hating or whatever. Like, exactly. you know, it's not, it's clearly not coming from that perspective. That's not what true feminism is anyway. I mean, right. I'm a, I'm a man and I consider myself a feminist. I have, you know, I a hundred percent on board with what you're saying. So it's, it's one of those things that I think because it happens the way it happens, it's even, you're even more on board with the way that the film depicts the uh, the gender dynamic and all of that, and you you know going back to what you were saying with how the movie starts, 
the first, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes, I was like, okay, I guess this is mostly about the labor dispute. And I, yeah. was, into, I was interested, but I wasn't, I, I, it took a, a little while until the rest of the, the, the larger implications and themes of the movie started to take hold that I, was, I started to get really hooked. I was like, oh, okay. Oh, there's a lot more going on here than just like, we're voting to strike 93 to five, that kind of thing. Like it's a lot, yeah. there's a lot more this movie has on its mind. And I think it's, um, it almost, almost tricks you into that by, by saying, no, 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 this is about a labor dispute and that's all just go along with it. Um, you know, it, it, it's, it's, um, it's deceptively deep, I, I think. And it doesn't seem that way at first. And that's to the movie's credit. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. And again, that, that's what took me by surprise was the feminist narrative. I really didn't even realize it at the moment when she's the one that starts narrating the film. And it just didn't click with me. <laughs> I don't know, probably because right. I'm not used to <laughs> seeing a feminist film, especially made in this era. Uh, mm-hmm. So once it started to evolve and then you're like, oh my, oh my, what, 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 what am I watching here? And then just seeing her... Um, pretty much beg and she's pregnant with her third child and just seeing her like beg the Virgin Mary, like for her not to have the baby and, and so on. So, and so forth. I was like, Ooh, okay. This is mm-hmm. getting kind of serious. And then that's when it starts evolving. I was like, Whoa, okay. Um, but yeah, cer- certainly a film worth, worth seeing and worth watching and, and just worth putting out there. Cause it's, Again, it was very progressive for its time. And even now, I think it's still progressive for, yeah. for, for the time we're living in right now. And it certainly touches a lot of topics we're, we're currently discussing right now. Female representation, female-centric uh, movies, um, feminist films, and equality representation. I mean, when you have like Mexicans or Mexican-Americans depicting their own characters and in, in the movie and... Yeah, certainly touches a lot of those themes where we're, we're talking about right now. So it's quite mind-boggling now that I'm sitting here and talking about it to think that a 70-year-old film can still be so relevant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely relevant thematically, but also, you know, as far as a, as a part of cinema history. Like, when you brought this up that you wanted to talk about this movie, mm-hmm. I, I just, you know, IMDb searched Salt of the Earth and there was a few other movies with a similar title. And I was like, wait, which one? The 1954? Because that's how little, you know, yeah. familiarity I had with it. And then come to find out, oh, this is like such a huge deal that this movie was made by all these blacklisted filmmakers and, you know, that the production was so fraught with chaos that uh, it was had to be like edited in secret because it was you know, yeah. a, a air quotes communist movie. Uh, and apparently, according to my research, it's the copyright expired in the 80s. And, you know, when we were when I was looking into where I could see this, you even I think you even mentioned it's on YouTube. Like there's yeah. no excuse for people not to have seen this. Uh, so I guess my question is, why isn't this movie being talked about more often? Is it, is it just is it just that, you know, it's based on a real event? So maybe m- mainstream people maybe maybe a lot of moviegoers or you know whatever would consider it kind of homework because it's based on real events or well, mm-hmm. what do you think is this uh is to blame there because i, I definitely yeah. think it's a film that people should check out 
Yes, uh, I think there's uh, several contributing factors to that. Uh, one of them being the the theme itself. It's depicting the Mexican American experience, which isn't unfortunately, it's not very much a, a theme that a lot of that Hollywood finds <laughs> uh, appealing, unless it's a gangster or cholos or anything like that. Uh, it's not depicting that. So it would certainly depict a more authentic story. Um, that unfortunately, mainstream media, it's not interested in showcasing. Right. Um, another thing is, and I, I may be wrong in this, but the fact that it was uh, produced by blacklisted um, uh, filmmakers uh, probably left a stain on it. Um, and maybe a lot of these studios just have no interest whatsoever in, in either showcasing films that were produced by these blacklisted filmmakers. Um, my, my film history isn't as uh, in-depth. <laughs> I'm not very insightful when it comes to, to that era. Uh, I just have a very generic understanding of it. Um, but I'm just guesstimating or, or just um, speculating that it might have probably left a stain on it and, and which is why a lot of people don't know about it i came across it because of film history course um not many regular viewers take uh film classes they're not majoring in, in right. film so that's probably another reason why uh, unless you're 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 getting a degree on it and you're very much going into film history that's the only way you're probably going to come across it but luckily um hopefully platform like yours and and the one um latinx lens we, we can bring more awareness to it um and lastly i don't know I, I, it's just certainly a, a gem in my opinion that that deserves to be seen and like you said it's on youtube so there, there's very yeah. much no excuse and it's also on amazon prime maybe you want a little bit of a better quality to it right. but it, it, but other than that yeah, I think it's just a variety of reasons, but hopefully people can can go out there and watch it. And the other thing, too, is we were talking about, obviously, you know, Mexican stories represented mm-hmm. and kind of going mainstream. I feel like the last one that was widely talked about, correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like something like Roma which was everywhere mm-hmm. because of the Oscar nominations and the awards and things like that. But even that mm-hmm. movie is technically from the perspective of a maid in, you know, working in, in the house of sort of a wealthy family. Uh, What are your thoughts? First of all, what are your thoughts on Roma, I guess, as a movie, since we're having this conversation about representation and, Mm -hmm. and, and secondly, I feel like Roma is much heavier of a watch than this is like this. It it has a lot to say, but, and it is in some very intense, powerful moments, but Roma was just like draining to watch for me, especially, you know, the, the, um, Spoilers, I guess, on Roma, the mm-hmm. the like sort of, uh, I guess it's a stillborn scene where she yeah. gives birth. Uh, that was that was rough. And I, you know, I, my my wife and I, our daughter is almost four. So at the time, mm-hmm. our daughter was like two, and so that hit me even harder as a result of that. What are what are sort of your thoughts on Roma as as a piece of Mexican, uh, you know, mm-hmm. film, and yeah, yeah. also in, in contrast to uh, Salt of the Earth, I guess. Yeah. 
So for me, uh, <laughs> I have a very unpopular opinion about Roma, um, and I've gotten a lot of criticism for it. I mm. wasn't the biggest fan of Roma, um, and I, I I understand why a lot of people like it. Right. It's Alfonso Cuarón, you know, he's a very uh, critically acclaimed director. Um, and don't get me wrong, I, I love him. He, he I like I like a lot of his films, um, but Roma just seemed to me it was just. Um, and I, I know it was like a love letter for to his um the woman that raised him really took care of him or his nanny so to speak, uh, but I I was bored. <laughs> I was bored um, through through most of the film, and I get it. I I understand the black and white, the cinematography. Uh, a lot of critics are <laughs> quite fond of it, and story wise, I, I guess the the. the Story-wise, it wasn't something that really caught my attention. Mm-hmm. Um, even though I, it does depict, uh, again, an indigenous woman and, and a demographic that's very much underrepresented. Um, right. But it just didn't it didn't appeal to me as much. And, and the last scene in the, in the beach and all of that, I understood it. Um, but it was something that just didn't catch my eye. Yeah. No, <laughs> I, I was just fond of it. Yeah, I I appreciated the filmmaking, obviously, because yeah. like you say, Quaron's an amazing nice director. Quaron, yeah, yeah. So, uh, but it's not particularly a story that resonated with me. The the stillborn, the the you know that sequence, I think, stuck with me more. And the beach thing is is really sweet. But mm-hmm. for the most part, I think it's like two and a half hours, and it's just a lot of very slice of life. Uh, and this movie came out like you know sixty five, seventy, whatever years earlier, and I feel like is more uh has much more life to it has mm-hmm. more to say has like it, it's it just you know and the only reason i brought up roma is because i feel like it so that's the last time a a movie about you know about mexicans for you know uh by, made by a mexican filmmaker uh mm-hmm. like but when it was talked about you know in such uh in such with such acclaim and such so i i yeah i no, I, I'm kind of on the same. I'm kind of on the same page with you about Roma. Like I appreciate it as a as a piece of filmmaking, but it's not. Yeah. It's not something like I wasn't depressed that it did. You know, I, I wasn't like rooting for it for best picture or anything like that. Necessarily. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. Neither was I, and I don't know. Maybe it was. And I've seen it twice. I, I saw it once just for for because I had to watch it, and then I saw it again for. Um, I think it's another class that I'm taking um, right now. And yeah, I still find myself, I don't know if it's Guaron's form of, of, of depicting or, or like realistic or realism filmmaking um, that doesn't, that just didn't work for me in this film. Um, Cause it, not that I'm not, I'm not fond of like, um, you know, realism films or anything like that, because I'm very big on, Ironically, I, I'm a big um, fan of Iñárritu's, um, Alejandro González Iñárritu's um, filmmaking. Uh, I, I very much like Babel and, and Beautiful and um, Amores Perros. Uh, but I don't know. There, there's just something about Roma that just didn't catch me. I, I don't know if, if it was just the story or if we were just following... Um, um, I forgot her name. Cleo? It was it Cleo or Cleo or something like that? Um mm-hmm. I don't know. I just didn't find her story very interested at all. And but like you said, filmmaking wise, yes, it, it's very beautiful and gorgeous to look at. Um, story wise, though, narratively speaking, yeah, not my cup of tea. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. I for, I for, I'd forgotten that it lost to Green Book, which is a whole other conversation. Um, oh gosh <laughs> <laughs> we're talking about representation and and you know race and all this stuff and then i'm like oh wait what did it lose to again i was like oh god never mind. yeah no um, and that's that, famously that's what you and you just mentioned the the um it wasn't your cup of tea that's famously the thing that spike lee said on some awards red carpet yeah. or whatever or it's like you know the british uh journalist asked him what he yes. thought of green bug he's like it's not my cup of tea and then he's like cracking himself up which is an amazing uh an amazing clip uh do yeah. you do you think though you know roma obviously was, was directed by a mexican filmmaker mm-hmm. do you think salt of the earth uh loses any of its impact or or authenticity or whatever based on the fact that it is not directed by uh you know a latin filmmaker that it is ostensibly a white man that directed the movie? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's a very good question because it's one of those uh, questions where uh, you're either going (laughs) to appeal to some people or just pissed off others. I'm the type of, um, I'm I'm in the, um, I'm I'm one of those type of people that um, wholeheartedly believes that filmmakers should be allowed to to do and produce um, whichever films they like. They shouldn't be boxed uh, mm-hmm. just to, I, I don't think like in this case, the three amigos, which is El Toro, Añarritu, and Cuaron, I don't think they should just be limited to to depicting Latinx centric movies. Um, I I think they, I love the fact that Cuaron went out there and made Harry Potter and I'm glad that Del Toro is over here um, doing Blade and, and Hellboy. Um, they should be allowed to do that. They, they oh, shouldn't yeah. be criticized for, for, for not doing it. Um, however, I do think that when um, Iñárritu or, or Del Toro, when Del Toro, uh, Del Toro makes Pan's Labyrinth or when you have Amores Perros and when you have Y Tu Mamá También, they do bring that extra layer of authenticity to it. Um, they bring their experience. They bring their knowledge to it. However, I don't also don't think that uh, a white man should not be allowed to depict these stories, specifically something like Salt of the Earth. Um, mm-hmm. if, if it's based on true events, and they were very well researched, and, and they knew the events that happened, and on top of that, you have some of these miners coming back depicting the story. Right. I see nothing wrong with that. Um, one of my all-time favorite animated films is Coco, and it's co-directed by a white man. But the research that went behind the Day of the Dead, the research that went behind all the Mexican culture is evident in the film. Um, mm. So so in instances like that, I don't mind. Um, I don't mind. Um, what if someone else of, of, of a Mexican-American or Mexican descent would have brought an additional layer of, of authenticity to it? Perhaps. Um, it, it's one of those that we'll never know because it, it, it was it's already made up. But... In that case, I, I think that it, it's certainly a topic that we can have a whole other episode on <laughs> and just and just um, dissect and, and, and just talk about for hours. But if it's based on real events and the research was done and, and, and such, I, I think the film certainly, um, it felt authentic to me, especially when you have Mexicans and Mexican-Americans. 
um, mm-hmm. telling the story, acting out their own story. Uh, <laughs> we had uh, for for Latinx lens, uh, Catherine and I. We we talked about um, <laughs> Viva Zapata uh, from I think it was either the sixties or the fifties, where you have Marlon Brando uh, portraying Emiliano Zapata, which is the Mexican revolutionary. Oh boy. And then adjacent to him, you have Anthony Quinn um, depicting his brother, who is an actually an actual Mexican. And yes, we destroyed that film to pieces. But uh, <laughs> but no, we were comparing and contrasting. You know, you have Marlon Brando depicting the revolutionary, and then you have Anthony Quinn, um, who ends up winning the Oscar for his <laughs> for his portrayal of of, of um, Zapata's brother, and how both of them. Uh, certainly brought something different to to their characters and and just to the Mexican um, representation in general. So in that sense, I think the film is okay. Uh, The the Salt of the Earth, I think, is one of those important films that even though um, it was directed by a white man, I think it felt authentic to me. And and a lot of that had to do with with the actors being Mexican and Mexican-Americans. Yeah, I think that's the key. That's that's what separates this from from uh, other movies of its era, like you're saying. That you that it does. That. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Jeez, um, <laughs> that uh, that it was the actual a lot of the actual people who were involved. Yeah. That it, it it definitely didn't feel like it was pulling any punches in its in its depiction of the of the white men and their attitude mm-hmm. towards uh, towards the Mexican workers. Uh, yeah, and I think I, I think you, you're you're spot on with that. It, it feels like it 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 made an effort to capture that perspective and not just be like you know a white man's version of what how, how Mexican uh, people would react and you know reacted in this situation. Um, right. I if if though what if someone like uh, like a Quaron or someone like that were to go back and do a a new version of this film. What, what would you, would you be down for that? Like, is this something that since so many people are not familiar with Salt of the Earth and it's, I guess, in the public domain, I don't know how that word worked to get somebody to, to buy the rights to it. Is it something mm-hmm. that you would like to see them kind of revisit or would you prefer just, you know, Criterion or someone get their hands on this and, and put out mm-hmm. a decent Blu-ray release? Good question. No, I think... I think this film is fine the way it is. Um, if Criterion can get a hands on it, that that'd be great. Uh, a, a remake of it wouldn't. I don't know. I, I don't think. I think it would suffer from the same. Um, it might end up feeling same, sort of shot for shot in a way. Like, yeah, I don't know yeah, if there's a lot. I I and, I, I kind of lean towards that as well. Go, sorry. Go yeah. Oh no no no. It's fine. I I would think if if you do do a remake, unless you have like. A-list actors, and you have one of the Oscar-winning um, directors um, directing it. Perhaps it might get a little bit more attention. Um, but other than that, I don't see a lot of people going out there, running out there to watch this film either. If they were to remake it, um, I, I just prefer them to go and see this one. It feels more, uh, more um, authentic to me, and mm-hmm. it feels more. How can you say it? Not, bo- not bold, but. Um, since since it was made by blacklisted filmmakers, having I think that sense into this film, it gives it a bit more of a 
Oh my god, I'm going blank right now. I can't even think. <laughs> it, it, do, it does. If you look at it through that lens, knowing the history of it, it does have sort of that uh, meta contextual layer to it, where you can almost see it as, as the blacklisted filmmakers sort of representing. Like there's there's other there's ways you can read into the themes of oppression right. and uh, equality there as well. I think that's is that's generally where, where you're trying to get at. I think right. Yes, yes. <laughs> okay. Um, I'll try to. Uh, but no, yes, I think no. I think this film is fine the way it is. I, I would not like to to see a remade or reboot or anything like that. Yeah, I think it's just something you need to get at draw more attention to like i said like yeah. that's why i mentioned criteria every time again going back to twitter i'm on social media way more than i should be but um you, every every time there's a sale on criteria and people lose their minds and they spend all this money on on you know these uh restored versions of older movies and if this feels like kind of movie that it, it should if it's i mean I, I don't think it is but if it if it's not in that pantheon already, it definitely should be just alone with its place in film history alone. And then adding in all the things that we just said about how this is like a almost 70 year old movie and it feels more vibrant than Roma, which came out two years ago. Yeah. Um, I think, yeah, it's definitely worth checking out for people. And and I love the message I, I, I wrote down. I think she says something towards the end, some uh, anything worth learning is a hurt. And I think that is a really interesting and, powerful line that, that encapsulates the whole you know the fact that progress isn't easy <laughs> it's hard and it's yeah. it takes you know it takes uh, some getting used to and, and there's growing pains and all of that and I thought the movie the movie depicted that really well um is there you know before we started the call we were saying I was telling you that I was a little nervous because this is an important film and I wanted to make sure we did it you know did it justice <laughs> is there anything on about salt of the earth that we yeah. haven't talked about, or do you think we did a pretty good job? I think we nailed it. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I think we did good. Um, no, I think I think we did do it justice, and awesome. for a film that not a lot of people know about, and hopefully after they hear this, they they go out there and check it out. Um, no, I, I I think I can't think of anything on top of my head, but no, I think we did hit a lot of the important points, and, and just primarily. Um, the themes and all that good stuff. No, I think we did good. <laughs> yeah, as we as we mentioned, people see it on YouTube or on Amazon Prime, yes. which is where I saw it as well. Uh, so, Rosa, tell people where they can find you on social media. Yes, I am on every social media platform, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Rosa's Reviews. Um, and if you guys can also follow us on, on those same platforms at Linux Lens, I very much appreciate it. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Rosa, for coming on the show and and uh, and bringing bringing salt of the earth to the table. Uh, as I said, I had no idea this movie existed, and I'm I'm really glad that we did this episode. If not, if only because I got a chance to actually see it for myself, and uh, highly recommend it to everybody. So, thank you so much for coming on and, and talking that with me. Uh, we'll definitely have to have you back on at some point to talk about something else. Oh no! Thank you so much for inviting me and allowing me to to talk about this amazing film that I just wholeheartedly <laughs> love. And no, thank you for the invite. Thank you for having me. And I would love to come back. This was such a treat. I loved it. <laughs> awesome, awesome. That's what we like to hear. Thanks, Rosa. Thank you. If you're interested in joining me on the show to chat about one of your favorite films, head on over to crookedtable.com/guest. Or you can consider supporting the show at patreon.com slash table. Of course, you can always find more podcasts, reviews, videos, and other movie-related goodies over at crookedtable.com. 
Until next time, this has been the Crooked Table Podcast, and I've been Rob. This has been a production of CrookedTable.com. All rights reserved. Z-R-O-O-K-E-D. <laughs> 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 <laughs>